Hi there, welcome to another episode of the Dark and Twisty Sisters podcast. So today we're really lucky to be talking to Joe, who is a founder of the Be Sober group. Um, today Joe talks to us about a sexual assault that she suffered um, a few years ago. So we just wanted to pop a little warning on here. Uh, for anyone who may have um, dealt with this kind of issue in the past or who may be triggered by this kind of discussion, just to let you know that this is something we are going to be talking about. Um, so please do listen with caution. Hi, everybody. Um, we're really excited this week because we have Joe from Be Sober joining us. Um, I haven't, well, haven't met Joe in person, but me and Joe are both um, part of the Be Sober group which are a sobriety social group, which um, Joe and Lisa started in Manchester last year. Is that right, Joe? Is it last year? We, well, yeah, we um, we started it on the very first day we met, actually. Because no when way. I became, when I became sober, I very quickly realised that I needed to surround myself with like-minded sober people in order to continue um, on my path. So um, I knew nobody, uh, absolutely nobody. Everybody that I was around was a drinker. So I um, went on to Instagram and there's a really good sober community on there. And uh, on a Sober Girls Society post, it was where they say, tag your, tag your area and find your sober sister. I think they do those sort of regularly. Everybody that had tagged Manchester, like an absolute stalker, I just DM'd them and begged them to come and meet me <laughs> for coffee. Um, and luckily, the lovely Lisa agreed. Um, so we met up in the Trafford Centre in Manchester, we grabbed a coffee and immediately, you know, we got on. It was so good. I know it sounded dead soppy of what it was like, um, like a love at first sight connection, do you know what I mean? But it, on a friendship level, it was really, really magical. And yeah, Be Sober Manchester was born and we've, you know, we've never looked back. It's been fantastic sort of how we've grown this sober community. It started with just us. Uh, we very quickly got a good regular sort of 20 odd members in the Manchester area and now we're global. We've even got ambassadors in the USA, which is brilliant. Covid has stopped things to a degree. Our face-to-face -face meetups have suffered this year with the restrictions, um, but we've introduced the support lounges now that run twice a week. So we've got like that online community it's you know it's not scary or stuffy or anything you just come on you've you've been on many a time yeah. Shane. you've even hosted one for us I did yeah um, so nice it's called a support group but it's not just for people who are really really rock bottom struggling it's for everybody even if you're three years sober it's just to, to have that connection with like many people and we have the right giggle don't we it's a lovely lovely group um, and we follow that up on a Sunday now with a drop-in for anyone that is maybe just needing a little bit of a support or they're feeling a bit isolated and lonely in this pandemic. Um, so we've got we've got them running twice weekly. So despite the fact that we're not doing as many face-to-face meetups at present, uh, we've, we're offering loads online. So yeah, sorry, I'll stop waffling no, on about <laughs> be sober now. So that's how we met. Yeah, I yeah. think it was about, no, it wasn't September, it was about August, wasn't it? I think, I don't even know how I found you guys. I just stumbled across, I must have read something about the groups. You must have started advertising for them and I just happened to ask and you were like, oh, why don't you just be the ambassador for your area? And I was like, okay. And literally, I think I filled the form in that day and it was kind of done and dusted. 
I was like, oh, I'm an ambassador now. So, but it's been the best thing I've ever done. Um, I mean, the, you know, the sober community on Instagram is great anyway, but this is just, this really feels like I'm part of something. And I love the support lounges on Thursday. Like I, I haven't missed one. Um, I don't think I would. I mean, I came on that one week and I didn't feel well at all. But oh, I still you weren't well, were you? Bless you. I know. But yeah, but you still came. I still came. I was there lying down under a blanket and started trying to participate. Um, but yeah, I think oh, it's just like you say, it's not like any other meeting or support group I've ever been to. It's so chilled out. We have a laugh. Um, if people are struggling they feel comfortable enough to talk about it but it's not all kind of doom and gloom and anything like that it's I think it just picks everybody up yeah because even like even on Sunday you know I might have a couple of attendees it might have missed a Thursday but they're just you know they've had a bit of a crappy week um they're just they're just wanting someone to talk to and then they you know they leave after an hour and they you know they're so thankful that they've been able to be a part of that so it's great we're just really really happy that it's helping people in the way we wanted it to and yeah you know we're hoping to take on the world yeah household name one day (laughs) well it's definitely going places I'm sure definitely um so if we I don't know go back a bit and like if you want to just tell us a little bit about you and your family and where you're from um yeah just a bit of background on joe well I'm um well I'm Joe. I am 42 I'm born and bred in Manchester um yeah proud Mancunian which is why we call be sober be sober because of the Manchester Bee and all that it's uh it symbolizes um as far as like my my alcohol journey I was a teenager in the 90s so you know hardcore loved to party um was always you could always find me with a bottle of cider in 20 fags on the park on a weekend it's just it's just the the way we did it it was great there was no internet um so you had to just actually physically be out to to find all your mates and um you know enjoy yourself um loved it we had an absolute ball you know I'm, I'm not saying it's um you know the best behavior but it's just what teenagers do actually yeah. I used to say to my teenagers because they didn't do that which was bizarre I and mean, I was like what's wrong with you at your age I was like in a in a coma in a field after having two liters of cider come on kids but uh they're just you know teenagers today well my teenagers just aren't into drinking in the same way I was um anyway yeah so I had my first child quite young. I was 19, should have been 20, but he was three weeks early. So he just knocked me into the teenage mum statistics. Um, so <laughs> drinking wasn't much a part of my life after having him because I was you know, so in love with him, but really, really focused on being a mum. I actually got a mortgage when I was 18. And I look at my kids now and I think, oh my God, how did I get a mortgage? Um, Myself and my fiance then, because I got engaged on my 18th birthday, um, we bought a new build house and we had it all, we were dead, dead settled. So even though we had a baby really young, we'd been together for three years. We had a car each, we both worked really hard. Um, and yeah, we, we, were, we were more than happy. So for, for years really, other than birthdays, Christmas, going on holiday, didn't really drink much at all 
um, it was when that relationship broke down and I had this newfound freedom that I'd not had in my late teens, early 20s, because I would, you know, settled down, I was, you know, doing the mum thing. And that kind of teamed with every other weekend, him having the kids. So I had a bit of free time. Um, I kind of dug out my party shoes again and started to appreciate the uh, the Manchester nightclub scene. Yeah. So, but other than that, other than clubbing at the weekends, etc., I wasn't too bad. I didn't really drink in the week, and you know, alone at home, that came a bit later. Um, but it was during that time I also so I wasn't spending too much money being out, but. So I was still out. I got a job in a pub, the local pub near me. Never, ever done bar work in my life. And I heard that they were um, they were looking for staff and it was the busiest bar in the whole neighbourhood. Honestly, you could not like fight your way to the bar. It was that stacked of people. So I went for this interview and I, I said, you know, I've got, got no idea what I'm doing. I can drink plenty of drinks, but I've never served them. So she said, right, come in at eight o'clock on Friday and we'll see if you sink or swim. <laughs> so I was like, so wow. I had, I think, I'm sure I must have had some Dutch courage um, prior to that uh, to to even be able to walk through the door. So I wasn't wasn't very good at all. But um, yeah, the girls were fab who I worked with behind the bar. They really looked after me, and I was a really good barmaid. I'd say took to it like a duck to water. Um, so that was the job I was working when my like soon-to-be husband walked into my life so I met him while I was working he um, was very 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 drunk at last orders while I was glass collecting and um, you know he sort of got got me by my hand and he was like oh you, you're gorgeous let me take you out and I was just you know just shrugged him off just another drunk guy um, so then he followed me over to the bar and he was like, oh, please, can I have your number? And my friend who worked behind the bar said, come back next week when you're sober, because that was a really good um, good way of saying, you know, thanks, yeah. but no thanks, off your pot. So lo and behold, the week after, he came in with roses, with chocolates, and in front of everybody in the pub, asked me on a date. And I wow. did not want to go on a date with him. He had an earring. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just a normal earring. It was like a, a green, like an emerald, like diamond. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, I don't want to go out with you. It was really handsome, but that just really put me off. And that he was a proper lad's lad, you know, really quite scally like he introduced himself to me as his nickname and I was like no what's your actual Christian name um so I agreed because I felt so bad that he'd, he'd come in with the roses and in front of so many people had asked me I thought well I can't say no um anyway uh fast forward god a year and a half and we were married <laughs> and we uh -huh. had a child yeah um so what I didn't realise at the time, because I'd been quite sheltered to it, was um, not only was he a heavy drinker and loved to go out with the lads, he uh, had a cocaine habit as well. And I had, um, I'd never come across that. Like my friends loved to party and there might have been a bit of weed knocking about. Um, those that went to Connecticut and stuff, which was like where they'd go for raves. 
would take pills but as far as coke it was just never something I had any experience with until um, I married him Mm. so at first I was very like non-tolerant at all like this is not happening this is not what we do and all that led to was him sneaking around and doing it behind my back really and I wasn't really clued up towards the end of it I was I could tell just by his mannerisms in a text message whether he'd had it or not but at the time he could you know sneak off have it in the toilet and I was none the wiser um when I realized that 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 wasn't working he was still doing it anyway I thought, well, you can't beat them, join them. Let's see what it's all about. And, you know, that was a disaster, (laughs) an absolute disaster. You know, lo and behold, that didn't work. That just led into a much, much more turbulent um, marriage. It was was just horrible. God, you think hangover's bad, a hangover after, after that is like a million times worse. It's just disgusting. Yeah, he was just abusing it more and more and more because he had more of a free reign so anyway um it got to a point there was there was so many incidents in in the marriage it got to a point where I left him um because I just couldn't cope with him anymore so I moved out with the children I had my two children and we had a son together at this point he was devastated that we'd left and he said please you know we'll Will you help me go to like Alcoholics Anonymous and Cocaine Anonymous? Will you will you help me find a group and, and come and help me help me just get clean? So I I just had enough of him at this point. And I said, no, if you want to do it, you've got to do it on your own. I'm not doing it for you anymore. I'm trying to focus on the children. And if you want to do this, go and find your own help. Anyway, he did. And he did really, really well. And um, for that six months, that we lived apart he went to meetings all of the time and um, I didn't even know there was like a cocaine anonymous the same as alcoholics anonymous so I had no idea um so he had um, a like a sponsor that he'd phone if he was sort of in trouble or feeling like he, he was triggered um selfishly I didn't stop drinking and now I know what I know about alcohol and obviously when he'd be sober um I think why the hell didn't you just support him and stop drinking with him? You know, to yeah, to help yeah. to help the guy. Um, that's the one regret I do have, but you know, I can't do anything about that now. Um, but you know, you live and learn, don't you? We did patch things up and get back together because of how good he was doing. And you know, it was his idea to have another baby. Let's you know properly do this now because we're we're going to have this happy marriage um, I very quickly fell pregnant with my fourth child and within a month he had stopped going to his meetings and he'd started oh. drinking again, mm. uh, you know back back on the on the drugs again we both owned our own businesses so we had quite a lot of money coming into the house so it got to a point where he was spending 600 quid a week it was just ridiculous amounts of money uh, you know, he wasn't he wasn't turning up for work. He was getting really drunk and then thinking he was going to get in his van and go and drive and do a job. And um, it, it just got more and more and more out of control. Um, God, how, yeah. How were the kids, like, did the kids see all this? How old were they? They did. The eldest at this point was 12. Um, yeah. 
so and the youngest was sort of three or four um and I was pregnant with yeah with um my youngest son who's now 10 um so throughout that pregnancy it was just an absolute nightmare it was just so 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 difficult because I felt um felt more trapped really I know I had I had the guts and was able to pack up and leave him once but then within such a short time to try and comprehend doing that again whilst pregnant it was just a really really sort of difficult situation to be in so um you know because he'd get quite aggressive when he was sober he was lovely but when when you know he'd, he'd been on a bender it was just a nightmare and he'd get he'd get into bed at night and he'd just push me out of bed not you know he wasn't bothered that I was heavily pregnant we had, uh, and I'd just take myself off and go and get into bed with my with my little boy because I thought it's not worth fighting with him because I don't I didn't want to harm the baby yeah so it probably got to um my son after because we had a boy together uh, when he was six months old I um told him I wanted a divorce. It was a Tuesday morning. Remember it really clearly. He'd been on it all weekend again. And he was still on it on the Tuesday morning. He was sat watching Jeremy Kyle with a bottle of red, drink out the bottle and a gram of Coke. And uh, when I got back from school, I just sat down in the living room and he was really cross because I because I busted him for doing drugs. And it is like you should you should work for the bloody police, you. How do you always figure it out? So I'm like, well, the key's missing out the door, love. It's not rocket science. Um, so I just, I just said, you know, we need to get divorced. We can't, can't keep living like this. It's not fair. And he agreed. He just said, yeah, because I love doing this much more than I love you and the kids. Oh, so crikey. you can't really into that, can you? And initially, I was staying in our marital home because I think it was a bit stubborn because I'd moved out the time before. And I'm like, well, I'm not moving again. It's not fair on the children. Um, so you can move. And I kept this house that I live in now. I kept this throughout because I was really annoyed that it wasn't selling because the, the property market had kind of crashed in 2007 or 8. Uh, so I ended up putting this on a buy to let and had a tenant in it so anyway that tenant was moving out so I was like well you can go and live in that house I'm staying here with the kids anyway it wasn't very long before I changed my mind um just because he was using this as a proper party house I love my neighbors I, I just didn't I didn't want to put them through that and uh, I it just it just didn't sit right with me so I said to him you know I'm really sorry can we can we just swap houses? I've made a mistake. I don't want to stay in our marital home. You'll have, I'll happily let you have it. I mean, it's a much bigger house, but I just wanted to come back here. So, you know, it was a bit disgruntled, but he agreed. And then the day I was moving, I'd, I'd contacted him that weekend and said, I'm just minding you, we're moving on the Sunday. We're swapping houses. So can you make sure everything's in order? So, and I'd called him the night before when he was out in the pub. So I'm just like, just reminding you, I'm, I'll be there at 10 in the morning. So anyway, I got here and the door was locked. There was a key in the front door. And I was like calling him, knocking on the door, no answer. Uh, so I went round the back and the back door was wide open. They'd been like, they'd, he'd had a massive party the night before. There was like, you know, 
cocaine residue everywhere, beer bottles. So I thought, oh, great. And um, I came upstairs and he was wired. He was still, you know, eyes sort of. So I said, you don't need to move, but I am moving in because we need to be settled because the kids need to be in bed because they've got school tomorrow. So as I went down the stairs, he flew down the stairs after me, he was so angry with me. He like hit me and threw me out the front door in front of in front of the kids. He, you know, he was really upset, like my little boy, the, the baby didn't particularly understand what was going on. So it was snowing, really, really snowing. He was just in his box shorts. So I was I'd left and um, just said, I've had enough of you, I'm gonna phone your dad. Because I'd never spoken to his dad about his problems, his mum knew about them, but she kept them very private. Um, and his dad was none the wiser. So he said, don't you dare, I'll kill you if you phone my dad. So I drove off and I actually called his dad. And he said, um, why, why do you keep saying these things about my son? He's, he's, he's not like that, he doesn't take drugs. So I said, well, if you come now, you know, there's a, there's all the remains of it you know if you come around now I drove back to our family home which literally like a two minute drive from here um I drove there and I explained to my older kids who were 10 and 12 what had happened and I said so make sure you lock the door uh, just make sure you lock the front door and don't let anyone in and I'd left my van on the drive with the engine running with the little ones in just while. So then my, like, my daughter shouted, like, he's here. And I thought, how, how is he here? So then we had like this altercation, but I was so scared because I'd left the van running with the little ones in it. And I didn't want him to drive that off. So um, I got into the, like, the driver's door and he was like, did you phone my dad? Did you? Like, really? He said, I will cut your throat. He would be in a nightmare. I got in and I locked the door and um, he started punching the window. So I got my phone and I dialed 999 and he, so he retreated then and got back in the car. So he reversed down the street because we lived at the end of a cul-de-sac. So he reversed away. So as he reversed away, I pulled out onto the road. I don't even know why, but I just did. I pulled out onto the road and he just floored it and just crashed head on into oh us. Luckily, as I said, it had snowed and it was like quite icy on top of the snow. So we slid more than had a jolting impact. Um, and then he got out and continued to punch my window, um, just going mad. So I reconnected because I'd ended that first 999 call because he'd gone away. So I phoned them again and I just said, you know, told them what had happened, can can you come out? But because he'd driven off while I was on the phone, they didn't deem it as an emergency. So they said we'd just get out at some point today. I, I sort of stayed at home. I think I called my brother. He came round. And when the police eventually did come out, obviously, they didn't, they didn't have a great deal on him. But he did get arrested. Um, and because he got arrested, his mum and dad were furious with me. And... Yeah, with me yeah absolutely furious they couldn't understand why I make this this stuff up about their son even though I mean his mum knows you know it's undeniable some of the things that have happened for her to to not know you know he's he's self-harming himself when he's been 
in such a state and he's a nurse and she's changing all these things and things uh, but they just wanted to hide it from his dad and I think because I exposed the behaviour he um, yeah he got a suspended prison sentence for like his behaviour and he doesn't actually see our children so it's a, it's a shame really but I'm glad I'm glad I did it I mean it was a hard move to leave him because for some reason even though he was such a dick um I loved him do you know what I mean it was it was hard but I loved my children more and I couldn't them continue living in that environment so um yeah my drinking app did sort of go up quite a few levels during my marriage with him and even afterwards I'd say because it was quite hard to deal with you know four children on my own the youngest I think of all the stress that he'd felt around him just never stopped crying oh my god that kid I would have given away if someone would have offered to take him is like honestly I was fraught I was sleep deprived um I was just exhausted with him I, I swear to god I didn't sleep or stop crying until he was nearly three if he was my first child, I never would have had another. He was my fourth. <laughs> so I was like, oh, um, I mean, he's, he's wonderful now, but hard work. So I chose like vodka at that point to like, kind of numb, numb it all out and, you know, make motherhood more bearable when in reality it just made it more unbearable. But yeah, it was, it was tough. Fast, fast forward a few years after another failed relationship I'd, date, I'd dated someone we briefly lived together that uh, that wasn't working out but for very different reasons to the first one our families just didn't gel the kids didn't get along we parented very very differently it just didn't work as a family unit I moved back to this house again I think I'll I just, I just stay here it's like my little magnetic house but it was while I had, I had separated with him and six months down the line we Kind of started rekindling things and just dating again very casually didn't want the kids to know because I think uh, my my daughter especially wasn't a fan of him so she she wouldn't have uh, been been too pleased at mum keeping that company but it was uh, a party we had at his house actually we'd we rented quite a big house to fit all our six children in and when I moved out, he had to rent a couple of the bedrooms out so he could afford to keep the property. Um, and him and his housemate, it was their birthdays on, on the same weekend. So they were having a big house party to celebrate. And um, his housemate was Polish. So they've got the, quite a big Polish community around here. Because I think anyone who's just got something in common when you've moved to a new country, you all kind of gravitate yeah. together, don't you? So it was, yeah very busy party with um, all of his Polish friends and the wives and, and etc. But there was this one one man out of that that group of friends I had met on a couple of occasions before and he just gave me the creeps and you know can't really hit the hit the nail on the head fully. I mean he was quite an attractive guy, you know, muscular and just just sleazy, you know, like asking for my number and things, even though he was married and he snatched my phone off me one day when I was on it and it was open and he added himself onto my Facebook and just and I just thought oh just didn't like him yeah we we were at this this party I'd not had a great deal to drink I'd had a bottle of wine earlier in the day at a barbecue it was about 10 o'clock at night when we got to this house party because I didn't particularly want to go and um his housemate gave me a Jack Daniels and I don't don't drink whiskey it was just 
repulsive to me. So I had some of it and put it down and went outside for a fag. And I came in, finished that drink, got another one. The next thing I knew, I was being woken up by my boyfriend because I'd completely passed out on the couch. And he woke me up and I couldn't stand up. I was like, I was like a newborn ball where you like to just keep giving way. And I'd been sick all I owned it. It was in my hair, it was down my top. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I've been sick when I've been drunk before. I've been blackout drunk, but I've never been in a coma where you'd actually vomited in your sleep and you didn't know. Like people die like that. That's ridiculous. Um, so he took me upstairs and uh, cleaned, cleaned me off and I was still vomiting. Um, it was it was horrible. I was I was vomiting actually that severely. It was actually making me urinate at the same time with the force. It was so, so, so gross. So he cleaned me up and put me in bed, um, which it, it was my bed once upon a time when we lived together. So I felt, you know, perfectly safe there in the house. Um, I, I went to sleep and I um, got, got woken up to somebody sexually assaulting me. So it was, it was a strange sensation. I said it was a bit like when you hear your alarm when you're sleeping, but in your dream, it's something else, you know, it's like a, it's like a car, a car alarm going off or something. Yeah. And, you, and it's like your body trying to make sense of it. Well, this is really bizarre. It, in my dream, I was being attacked by a dog, but I've never been attacked by a dog. So I wouldn't really know what that felt like, but it was that aggressive sort of mauling. Um, and then, I, you know, I came to and realised there was somebody under the duvet and what was happening. And I put my hand under the duvet and I felt this bald head. Well, my boyfriend was bald, so I assumed it was him at first. So I like slapped him around the head because I was so annoyed. I was like, what the hell are you doing? And, um, you know, my boyfriend was quite quite skinny and hairy. Well, this body that reared up and flung the duvet off was very muscular and completely clean shaven. Um, and I realised it was that, that Polish guy whose wife was in the kitchen. Oh, God. And he came just really, really close, like nose to nose, and just said, I am sorry, Joanne, and left the room. And oh my God, I was just like, what the hell has just happened? It was so, so surreal because you, you expect you to react in certain ways. You know, if you ever watch a film and you think, oh, well, if that happened to me, I'd do this. Or yeah, it's just, and I was literally just frozen, just paralyzed. I could not move for what felt like ages. I've no idea how long it was. I was just, um, just dazed, really. So I did get up and managed to find my clothes because I instantly, I just needed to leave that house and, and go home. I, I just didn't want to be there anymore. I didn't want to raise the alarm. I didn't want to call the police. I just wanted to go home. So I, I found my clothes. I got, got dressed. I mean, I feel like I could barely even stand up properly because I felt so ill, um, like physically. Fit. It was just horrible, horrible. Um, I realised I couldn't find my shoes because I'd left them in the kitchen and that's where everybody still was. It was three o'clock in the morning at this point. Um, so I went down to retrieve my shoes so I could walk home. And my boyfriend was like, oh, she's alive. Come on, you know, you're about to join the party. No, I'm going home. So he was immediately pissed off with me because he was like, why, why do you want to go home? We're, we're meant to be patching things up and sorting things out. And how's that going to happen if, if you don't stay here? So I was like, 
no, seriously, I need to go home. And his housemate had come up at this point. And he was like, what, what, why are you going? Why are you going? And they were both sort of badgering me. So I was like, I just want my shoes so I can go. Um, and the guy that had just assaulted me turned up in the hall holding my shoes. And he just went, here, here are your shoes. Um, I just snatched them off him. I just couldn't believe the bloody cheek. So reluctantly, I took my boyfriend upstairs to explain to him what had happened. And he was so blackout drunk, he just couldn't even comprehend it. So he just like pushed me over really aggressively. I ended up with a massive bruise down my thigh from him. So I ended up whacking him with my shoe and walking home with just one shoe on anyway. So, you know, that whole, that whole process was a, a bit pointless after that. So I, I got home, I was so, so ill, really, really, really sick. The whole night, it was just vile. I swear like my body was poisoned. And my boyfriend got here about eight in the morning and he was like, why did you go home? He had no recollection of what had happened. Um, so I told him again, and he was stunned. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. I told him the night before something so significant and he was so drunk. He did not remember that I'd even told him that. Um, so he said, oh, well, we need to phone the police. Uh, and initially I was like, well, what are the police going to do? You know, how, how are they going to prove anything? What's... And he said, well, if it was, you know, if it was one of our daughters, what would you do? And I was like, phone the police. So was, well, why not for you then? So I said, right, I will, but I just need to feel better. I knew I needed to drop my son off. He was working at McDonald's at the time because he was at college. So I, I, I needed to drop him off at work and, do, you know, do, do the normal mum things before I could sort myself out. Uh, I knew I needed a shower and I thought I probably shouldn't have a shower, but I, I needed one. It's just like some kind of instinct. You've just got to try and wash, wash it off you. It's just awful. Um, so I showered. And I was, I, I had my, my robe on and a towel on my hair and I heard the door go and the man who'd assaulted me turned up at my house with his wife begging me not to contact the police. What? I know. Please, his wife knows. Please, no police. My sons, what about my sons? His wife didn't speak hardly any English, so I don't know. If she understood. How much she truly knew. Mm. Yeah. Um, he, he was fluent in English, it, you know, perfect. But she wasn't. I don't know how much she had had communicated to her at that time, especially. So I was like a screaming banshee. You know, my children were in the house. He'd come to my door. I was furious. I was like, you know, just get the fuck away from my house. Um like go away so when I did later on that day contact uh, Greater Manchester Police they were absolutely incredible like so good I, I couldn't rate them enough they were they never once like questioned me like um made, made me feel horrible anything they were just so lovely and understanding and nice which I think is important to get across because I think a lot of women like worry that they're not going to be believed or you know it's going to be a horrible process for them I mean don't get wrong it's not a pleasant process but they they handled it so so well uh, I mean the lady that initially looked after me um who took my first interview I was with her for like three hours and she touched base with me throughout um 
the proceedings leading up to court, but it did get handed over to CID. So they looked after me as well. But I, I got her flowers and chocolates and everything after the whole case was finished because she was so wonderful, like just really, really nice. So yeah, I got um I got put with that specialist lady and she, yeah, they took a statement and DNA and they they sent um forensics to the house. Um they arrested him and that was on the radio like we were listening to his arrest while we were we were together they were they were remarkable and they got the sexual assault referral center to open for us later that night it was it was really late it was about half 12 but there was um two two doctors and a nurse that came to open up I was the only person there and they were just so wonderful as well honestly that that whole as much as it's a horrible thing to go through, I can't thank the people who looked after me enough for, for all that they did. You have like a proper internal examination when you go there. They take well, they take your blood to check the toxins because um, they truly believe that I've been spiked. I believe I've been spiked. I've, I've never completely passed out and vomited like that after a bottle of wine and one whiskey and one Jack Daniels. But the things that people put like you know the date rate drugs they pass your system really really quickly so there wasn't actually anything in my system I think because I'd been so violently sick my body does not like medication at all um anything more than like a standard paracetamol it makes me feel so ill my body goes no thank you so I think that was my body's reaction of trying to get rid of it like vomit 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 let it out um yeah so like um they put your legs up in stirrups and properly examine you and take photographs and do swabs and everything there was um all kinds of damage down there and damage that would only happen in that kind of assault um so it was without doubt it definitely happened um they had to also you know swab and check for the sperm etc and I'd explained that I'd had a shower and she said, it's fine, you know, it's fine. She actually said, we've pulled bodies out of the water that have been there for days and still got DNA off them. So having a shower, don't worry about it. So they were, they were wonderful. They got a whole lot of evidence stacked up. So it went to, it went to court. First it goes to Manchester's court because that's just standard. And then they go, nope, too serious. It's going to Crown Court. Uh, then it went to the Crown Court. It was very almost a year later, like a couple of weeks off a year, this whole court process took. Um, so in that year, to deal with um, this, I drank well more than I normally would. Like I just spoke, I just worked really, really worked hard and then drank even harder. Um, and it was just my way of coping. I just never stopped. You know, some some people might go off on, on the sick and have have a month or two, you know, to, to just be with themselves. I couldn't do that. I couldn't bear to do that. I just had to keep myself as busy as possible. And when that wasn't physically working, that was getting drunk with my mates. Um, my best friend at the time, her, her mum had died that week of cancer. It was actually her mum's funeral on the Monday morning. And I had yeah, been at the sexual assault centre at like, you know, half past midnight on that same morning at her mum's funeral, I was making all the flowers for them. So we had a very shit time 
for different reasons, but at the same time, and as we were both uh, the single mates, all of our other friends were married, etc., we sort of lent on each other. Morgan Spiced, yeah. So that was our <laughs> Morgan was our third wheel, definitely. So we drank, and it wasn't wasn't just weekend binges. You know, we, if we felt shitty on a Tuesday there was always always one of us that was up for it whether it was she felt crappy and she was like can I come around yours should we get should we get some rum yeah definitely and vice versa like do you want to come come and stay at mine and we'll get a bottle of rum so we'd we'd set our motto was chuck it in the fuck it bucket and have a rum <laughs> I was like this fuck it bucket's a sign for being by the time the amount of things we've chucked in it and uh yes. any dresses that came our way uh rum solved it also we thought at that time yeah I'd say getting towards the end of, of that, that period and and beyond it I was easily putting away three bottles of rum a week and that wasn't that wasn't it because we'd always we'd never start with a rum we'd always have a few San Miguel's first or share yeah. a bottle of Prosecco and then finish off with with a rum yeah so that that carried on and they caught the court day at the very 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 last minute he pleaded guilty so I didn't end up having to actually testify in the witness box, which was scaring me to death, to be fair. But because he pleaded guilty, he got away with um, a suspended sentence, hefty fine. But I didn't, I didn't want uh, any money from him. I, just, I wanted him to pay for what he did with his time and him being able to reflect on, on what he'd done, etc. So he's got to sign the sex offenders register forever. And he got two years suspended for two years. Um, so I'm guessing that time's just about up now. That would have been up in, in September by the time he got sentenced. Um, so it's frustrating because he still lives in my local area. Only about three weeks ago, a lady had ordered some flowers from me. And um, I was delivering them to a house, which house with lots and lots of trees near here. So it was really dark. Uh, so I couldn't see the door numbers so I thought I just need to park and get out and actually go and I parked and I got out and I noticed his car and she lived like literally about four doors down from his house um, and you know I thought I was all right but god my heart was pounding um, because I realised where he lived because he did live very very close to me and he moved during the process of the trial but just to another part of our area so I wasn't sure exactly where his house was, but now I know where it is. Um, it's just, it just haunts me a bit that, because I think you would have just moved to the next town, wouldn't you? Rather than move from one house to another in the same little town, just move a bit further afield. Yeah, yeah, move. Move away, actually, completely. So, I mean, that's frustrating. It is something that, you know, I, I didn't get a say in, or even the courts wouldn't, wouldn't intervene in at all, but... I just think, God, you know, have have a little bit of respect and just do that. But obviously, he's not got any, has he? But what, what I was going to say was the fact that he lives so close was only seven days after he assaulted me. I'd, um, I'd been working, I stopped at a little Tesco near me to get my next door neighbour a bottle of wine and a birthday card. And as I was pulling out of the Tesco car park onto the road, two motorbikes passed me. So I was waiting for them to go. And then I pulled out, one of the motorbikes crashed, right? It was literally backflipping. It did three sort of backward somersaults. So I thought, oh shit. So I put my hazard lights on to stop the flow of traffic. So this 
uh, cyclist didn't didn't get run over and I was just about to get out to like check them all right off the first aid you know do you need an ambulance or whatever and he jumped up really quickly and he was like staring at me and he was dragging the bike off the carriageway like really panicking and I could see like his jeans were ripped and his legs were bloody and I thought what's he doing he's probably really hurt anyway he lifted up his visor and it was him the guy that had assaulted me had just so I can only imagine that he noticed me and panicked and like revved it, revved it up. I've never ridden a motorbike, but I think what I think, yeah, he's revved it up so fast and he's made himself backflip. That's like mental, isn't it? No, you can't make it up, can you? It's mental. Yeah. So that that all went, and I well, it carried on in that cycle of drinking for over another year. Just um, so just got used to it, just like you know. Just out all the time, blocking everything out, pleasantly away. Um, and then just one morning I woke up after, you know, feeling absolutely rotten again. You know, I'd drank so much, I'd been sick the night before, I'd told my daughter to fuck off when she tried to wake me up. It was, I mean, she, she's a young adult, which well, she's a mum herself now, so I wasn't trying to pull you, but I'm so fuck off, but still, it wasn't very nice. And I just thought, what the hell are you doing? You're just wasting your life. You know, you're going out drinking every weekend. Every weekend's the bloody same. You have the same drinks, same conversations, just to the same song. Wasting your life away. I'd gotten really fat. Just the amount, the amount I was eating and wasn't really exercising because I was too hungover and couldn't be arsed. And I just felt really, really unhappy with myself. So I just had this like epiphany. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop drinking and I'm going to start like dating men for the sake of dating because I just keep finding the same wrong sorts. You know, I, I need to break the cycle. So I did. And that was the 24th of February, 2019. And that was the last time I woke up with a hangover, <laughs> the last time I had a bag and the last time I uh, dated a guy. And you know what? Best thing I ever did. <laughs> Oh, I'm not saying all three, you know, the last one, maybe not <laughs> be tempted if you're really, really special. Um, but you know, I'm so content now, it's it's untrue. I never could have imagined my my life just to be so calm because it's never been calm, it's always been chaotic, always from being a kid, you know, from from my, my upbringing as a as a child, right the way through until last last year um it was just chaos and drama and it was just horrible and now it's just calm it's great um i could, could not recommend the bright enough honestly because that has been the key factor and i replaced going to the pub with going to the gym and i love it i'm a bit of a gym addict now i do a minimum of three sessions a week quite often six or seven sessions so I just love it. I'm absolutely. I get get up at four forty and I get all my work stuff together and make my boiled eggs, make my flask, and I leave the house at quarter to six and uh, do an hour in the gym before work and sets me up for the day. Feel incredible. It's hard this time of year when you're having mm -hmm. to scrape the car and it's dark and it's rotten. But as soon as you get there, you're glad you've and you've uh, you've gone to do it so yeah and uh, that I feel, just feel feel great in myself I'm in the best shape I've been in since I was 18 
and it's just all all a winner for me and then starting be sober and yeah lisa like, knows a bit about uh fitness <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm a bit of a fitness freak myself. I, I love exercising. I do it every day. Um, I had my first rest day on Sunday since I want to say like May, like my first actual not done any exercise. May, I think it was. But well, you'll have a rest day, don't you? And you still end up on the treadmill. Yeah. Like... Yeah. But I decorated <laughs> Jack's room on Sunday and I just, that's a workout in itself, isn't it? Like painting and decorating. So yeah, but I did feel better for it. But yeah, I love exercising. Um, I don't feel right if I haven't had my morning workout. It just feels like I feel stressed for the rest of the day because I, I really I really like to get it done in the morning and set myself up, like you say. If I haven't done it, I'm like, no. Nope. So yeah. I was just going to ask you, um, obviously you said you and your friends sort of drank together to both get over your respective traumas and I was just wondering what how does she react to you giving it all up I thought it was just a bit of a joke or <laughs> you know like a fad and oh yeah whatever you'll you'll be out next weekend or but you will you will have and then it got as it this time went on she was like well you will you will though won't you you know you will and I was like the further down the line I go I won't and yeah we don't really see each other anymore which we've We've not fallen out and I love her dearly and I know if I was to call her now she'd be there straight away without doubt but what I have realised is we don't have as much in common anymore mm. now I don't drink she still loves to go out and and have a drink and you know that's that's fine because I think you've you've got to be ready for it there's got to be something that twigs in you that makes you prepared to to make this move because it is going against the norm and that's quite scary and a, a difficult decision for, for many to make. Alcohol is, you know, that friend lurking in the background all the time. It's always there. It's there if you're sad. It's there if you're happy. It's there if you're bored. You know, it's that deeply ingrained in our society to have alcohol at every occasion. Um, it's a big ask for, for many people to, to think differently to that. Yeah, I think once you have seen the other side and realise how life is so much richer without alcohol in it, uh, you look at everything very differently. I, I'd say, I'd, like, my whole life has evolved like massively since um, since removing removing alcohol. It really, really has. So, those people that I used to spend a lot of time with drinking don't fit in my life the same way anymore. Mm. But I'm, 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 you know, I'm content with that. I'm at peace with that. That's fine. And it's not that I don't love them and care about them. It's just that we're, we're not on the same page anymore. Yeah. And how, how do your um, kids, what differences have they noticed in you? Like, do they love it that you don't drink anymore or? Absolutely love it. They love it. Mm. My youngest used to be so concerned with the health aspects. He hated that I smoked he'd get so upset and he was just because he was caring about me and I'd get really mm. crossed with him and be like I'm the grown-up you know I'm like um yeah I'm much much I'm a more present mum a hundred percent actually listen listen to them um calmer with them my like older kids like my daughter she's like she's 20 now she um she's a mum herself 
so it's been lovely because like since being a nana I've been sober the whole time so you know I feel like I've got a lot more patience with her than I ever would have had if I was a a drinking nana and yeah get on so much better with my daughter whether that is just the sobriety or that it's teamed with her becoming a mum herself and her seeing life differently you know it could be a bit of both they like the mum a lot more as a sober mom, because I was a proper grouch. I was like angry with the world. I was hungover most days and I just didn't, I just didn't have the patience. I really mm. didn't. And that, that wasn't, you know, the spearhead of me doing this, but now seeing the difference, it's definitely the top of my list of why I would stay sober for, yeah. me, for the kids and for the family yeah. life. Definitely. It's what do you say about patience? Because I notice now that, you know, we still all can get pushed to certain limits. And if I get to the point where I get a little bit ratty because I'm getting annoyed, my patience is wearing thin, I will clock it and I will really not like myself for it. And then I think, oh, my God, I must have been like this all the time. And like now, just a little bit of that, I can't bear to even see myself doing it. When I hear what I say, I'm like, stop it. Like, that's just... It's not nice. Definitely. I'm the same. If I do it like, I, I mean, because I still get road rage now, I'm a bit of a nightmare for road rage. I don't think I'm as bad as I used to be. But I get it, it's being mindful of it. And it's like, right, okay, just let that go. You know, re, replan yeah. it. You know, maybe there's a reason they're driving like a knob. Maybe they need to get to the hospital. You know, sort of start positivity rather than it dragging the negative energy down all the time uh, which you do when you're feeling you know you're sleep deprived and you your system's poisoned um yeah well I just think uh, I don't even know what to say Joe. that is just like yeah. the biggest it's not... thank you so what, much what for sharing you your story with us yeah. it's it's really personal and must be so hard to talk yeah. about. So thank you so much for sharing It'd be that. Hard to talk about, I think. Because the only time I used to talk about it was in the in the uh, smoking area of a pub with a stranger, whilst like blackout drunk, mm. crying on somebody I don't even know, and I cried every time I spoke about it. Um, and to be honest, I can't remember the last time I cried about it now, and that's good. But I don't think I truly dealt with it and started to heal from it until I'd removed alcohol out of the equation because all alcohol was doing was blacking it out blacking it out blacking it out um and now I've actually feel like I've processed it or I'm continuing to process it Mm. and talking about it every time I do especially in a situation like this um it takes the power away from it a little bit more it's just breaking it down it doesn't have that power um, or control over me you know at first um, I was a bit you are left to feel embarrassed and ashamed when you've been assaulted and I, you know I can't for the life of me understand why that is because you've done nothing wrong you've mm-hmm. absolutely nothing wrong and it's them that should feel ashamed never ever the victim or the survivor and the first time it kind of twigged in me and made me really passionate was there was a phone in on radio in Manchester in January because there was a case um, in our area where um, about 70 odd men had been raped by this man on a night out where he drugged them and he'd, he'd raped oh, them. I remember um, and, and they were they were doing a phone in on it. And I felt so passionately, I, I just phoned up just on a whim like that. And I thought, I'll just say my piece and then they can just say it, you know, for me. And they're like, oh no, will you go on air? 
So I thought, right, I'm just going to do it. So I did it. And that was the first time I actually spoke about it was just off the cuff, um, live on Radio Manchester. But because I just wanted to get across that they should never, ever, ever feel ashamed for what's happened to them because, you know, it's they've not done anything. They've not done anything wrong. And I think the more people that actually speak about their assault, the more it will help those that have gone through it and are unable to talk about it or are feeling guilty or are concerned about reporting it because I'd say always report it because you'll stop them doing it to anyone else. Yeah. I think it's quite it's difficult isn't it because there's such a not a stigma but you always hear about people that they go through all the trouble of reporting it and go through the court case and get to court and then they get absolutely torn apart yeah on the stand or, or, you know, whatever, giving their statements. And yet people get made to feel like it is their fault. Like, oh, she drank too much. She had this outfit on, you know, she was asking for it. Those sorts of, you know, attitudes. So I can see why people probably think, oh, I'm not putting myself through that. I've been through the trauma as it is. Why would I put myself through that again and again and have people not believe me? Yeah, the defence lawyers still, uh, they asked, they wanted photographs of what I was wearing on the night in case I was asking for it. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I was furious with that. But, you know, it, it's their job, I guess, to try and find holes mm. in it. But how shit is it of a society to believe that if you're dressed in a certain way, you deserve that attack? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it, it's so... It's wrong. It's so wrong. Mm. Yeah, it is. But I, um, I just think that, that you know... <sighs> It's hard and I know what you're saying because I've also heard stories where people people have gone through it and, and haven't been been believed. Mm. It must be absolutely crushing. Be brave and try yeah. at least, you know, just to stop them from continuing. The man who did it to me also had a job as um, a bouncer and how many drunk, vulnerable women yeah. has he come across in that line of work and he will never be able to do that again. Um, he'll never be able to wear that badge and, and, and no. do that job. So at least I have done my bit to try and prevent him attacking other women. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it before. Like, I think it was, the, is it Ched Evans, the footballer? And I'm sure that's his name. can't remember. Oh, yeah. And he, he, got, he got found guilty, I think. But the girl that, um, the girl that got um, assaulted by him, allegedly, she got absolutely ripped to shreds like on, on social media and people put her name out there and obviously it's all supposed to be anonymous and everything and it was just horrific so it's just like when it's someone in the public eye as well like that you, you know you have to be really brave to actually put your story out there so yeah I think it's just society is just geared towards just trying to find fault in why 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 they're trying to find a reason as to why this this man's done it well it's just because he's an arsehole basically so have you got oh, any more uh, questions, Shay, for Joe? Or is there anything else you want to say? I don't have any questions, Joe. If you've got I mean, I just think you're bloody amazing. Yeah. That's all I've got to say, really. And I'm just like really glad that today I get to be a part of this Joe. Oh, I didn't realise um you're the actual so you're like the, the founder of, of Be Sober, like the whole thing or Yes. Wow. Yeah. I'm the founder. Uh, yeah, so it was my idea to meet for a coffee and find like-minded people to start a, a sober social group up north because everything was just down south. There's nothing that I could find um, in northern England. So yeah, so I met up with, with Lisa 
and another lady called Hannah, but Hannah's kind of, you know, so, took a side step from being sober. So Alex, who's Lisa's best friend, has kind of stepped into the, the breach. So the, the three of us, um, yeah, are, oh, are being sober. So yeah, Shay's crazy. always banging on about it. Oh, good. You're gonna come on Thursday. You're gonna come on Thursday. I'm like, literally, oh. keep trying to get everybody and anybody. You should come. It's because I, I did. Um, I did sober October because I've got a bit of a history with alcohol. Um, my whole family has actually. I think it might be genetic. Um, and I got, I got to a point, same as you, like I just can't keep doing this anymore. Drinking at home on my own, alone, being a crap mum, being a crap wife, just treading water basically. So I did sober October and then just carried it on didn't I I have had a couple of drinks since um but I'm starting to notice the signs now I got I've got to a really good place where I wasn't thinking about having a drink and I could see I was starting to think about it again so I've sort of had to check myself and sort of be like actually no so yeah I'm just trying to be a bit careful at the moment in terms of what I'm doing with alcohol it's, it's that time of year isn't it it's, and it, even though we're not going out it's just like yeah I don't know I'm just really yeah, wary. Quite, it's all the romantic thoughts around Christmas yeah. and, you know, the glass of red by the fire and all, yeah. and all of that. And it is just like your subconscious because yeah. it's kind of wired in into us. So last last Christmas was my first um, sober Christmas and it was challenging. Even though I was, I felt really strong in my sobriety, it was challenging. Didn't help with the fact that um, my boss got me a bottle of Prosecco for Christmas. Oh, no. And I was like, you know, I'm sober. You know, you didn't buy the vegans, so, you know. A, a joint of meat. <laughs> yeah, but you've got me bloody Prosecco. Mm. Um, so otherwise there wouldn't have been any alcohol in my house. So that was um, that was there. That little voice was like, oh, you've done so well. Just one you. won't you hurt. Know, you, yeah. You, yeah, just have one with your dinner. Just have one with, you know, while I was making dinner. Just have one, just have one. So I was like yeah okay little voice we're gonna have one we're gonna have a glass of prosecco with our christmas dinner that's what we're gonna do so i was like oh yeah so i was waiting for it and i thought well i just won't tell just won't tell anyone no one's gonna know and um my daughter because she just had the baby she had her on halloween um her boyfriend's family were coming to us for christmas dinner and i'd not met his dad or brother i'd only met his mom um so like they they knocked on the door so I let them in and his brother just sort of flung this bag at me and he said hi um I've been going to the AA I'm 90 days and I believe you don't drink either so here are some alcohol-free beers so I thought oh, I can't have a bloody oh, blessing now can no. I we've got the, the guy from AA here watching <laughs> me I'm a super champion what the hell so yeah that was the universe that was a sign yeah sending me him to keep me on the right track <laughs> that is good though because really I mean what are the chances of that as well exactly, exactly. and armed with Bex Blue so yeah this is good so I gave yeah. everyone else a second to get rid of the damn thing and uh yeah we had a Bex Blue yeah I need to not have it in the house I think if it's there it's sort of it's just in the back of my mind all the time oh there's that bottle of Prosecco there I'll just have a glass and then, oh, I'll just have another glass. It'll be all right. And then, yeah, before you know it, the bottle's gone. you've got gone. chocolate in the house or anything, yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah. Little, you get bored and you think, oh. Right. Thank you again. It's been really interesting, really 
um really good thank you for coming on yeah thank you for sharing it no thank you hi guys so thanks for listening to the episode as we said before the episode we do understand that this episode may have some subjects in it that are triggering for our listeners so we just wanted to leave you with the number for the samaritans if any of the topics that we discussed have affected you personally then please do call the samaritans on 116-123 that's 116-123 Also, if you have any questions for us at all or any topics you'd like us to to discuss on the podcast, please do contact us at darkandtwistysisters at outlook.com or pop over to Instagram and see us at darkandtwistysisterspodcast. Thanks again for listening. (laughs)